Why don't we have a seat here? We'll get started with our second presentation. One of my biggest challenges in presenting some of these topics to people is where do I begin? We've got so many areas that we can talk about. And back a month or two ago when Dave asked me for topic titles here, I chose these three that we're going to be presenting. Number one, passing your parents, and number two is kissing their toe off. What a title. You'll see in a minute why I've named it that way. And the last presentation that we have tomorrow for the adults is called Three Words. Three Words. Communication Wiring is another title I've given it. And in that one, we'll be talking about the difference between men and women and ways that we complement each other. Have you noticed that we're different? Let's begin with prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this time together. We ask that you would teach us as we spend time with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Is there anything more important than your salvation? I've tried this question out on a number of audiences, most recently at 3ABM. Everybody's afraid to answer. They're afraid I'm trying to trick them. I probably am. (laughs) Go ahead, my friend. (laughs) Moses was willing to give up his salvation to the children of Israel. Mm-hmm. Christ could not be on the portal of the tomb when he was on the cross. And although our salvation is very important, are we actually willing to do that for someone to love? You just you just pulled the curtain back on the on the answer. Yes. The salvation of others is more important. And like you've described already, Phil, you know, those who come closest to the heart of God. You're absolutely right. I'm glad you brought that out. Those who come closest to the heart of God want the salvation of them more than others. If you have a wayward child, very often a parent will say, God, if you would just save that child, I'd be willing to forego my own salvation. If you're that kind of a person, many parents are. Number two, God's glory. Yes, there are two things more important than your salvation and mine, and that's God's glory. In Judges chapter 17, there's a a brief little account there that just fascinates me. The 17th chapter of the book of Judges, there's a man named Micah that we're introduced early on in the chapter. And in the setting of that story, there's been a theft in the family. The mother has had 2,000 talents of silver or 2,000 coins, maybe it wasn't talents, but 2,000 Uh, units of money have been stolen from her. So she pronounces a curse on the money. Whoever took it, I hope hope their arms drop off or something like that. Doesn't say what the curse is, so I'm kind of uh, inventing one there. He hears about it. His conscience smites him. He brings the money back to mom and said, here it is, Uh, I took it. I, I was wrong. No, my son, she says. Wonderful. I had set this money aside to build an idol to worship the Lord with. 
that whole chapter starts out with this brief story and then it, what follows there is the narrative of this man Micah how he has inherited this generational problem of idolatry and he's, he takes the money she gives it back to him said thank you for returning it now you're not a thief I give it to you he goes and he builds an idol and he puts it in his house he declares his house a sanctuary a temple everybody can come in and worship but he needs a priest doesn't really have one. He looks around and he sees his son there. He said, hey, hey, come here. I want you to be a priest. Makes him a priest. So the son does that for just a little while. And then he, his heart wasn't in it. So he goes off and does something else. One day, there was a traveling man who was a Levite. Came into town. A young fellow, by the way. The Bible is very clear on that. Micah meets this man and said, hey, come to my house and live there. You can be a priest and a father unto me. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? Because Micah was old enough to have a son acting as a priest, and here comes a young man through town, and he says, I want you to be my daddy. I want you to be my father. <clears throat> I don't know what, all the, what the story is behind that account there in Judges chapter 17, but as you go down through the rest of the chapter, you'll find this man, Micah, continually looking for a father. And it's that way in many young people's life today. You know, if we go into a black community, and we have a number of times we went in there to present seminars on either marriage or relationships, and we've counseled a lot of people, dear people, and you can count on going in there that there's going to be probably seven or eight cases out of ten where the father will be absent or there'll be no relationship with the father, and you have to be prepared to help someone like that, how to encourage that person how to get them connected to the God of heaven, their heavenly father. That's the key in all of our lives. It's not just people who've never had a father. All of us need to be connected to our heavenly father. We were in 3ABN last week leading out in the youth department there. Wonderful experience. We had anywhere from 15 to 27 young people, uh, youth. <clears throat> they were probably from 15 on up to 20-some. Nice kids. And as we closed out on Saturday night, the very last session, a note was passed to my son, who was also helping with his fiance, leading out in these meetings. And the note said, I'd like to talk to you in, in private if I could. Okay. So after it was over, he went out and talked to him and his girlfriend. And then I was called over pretty quickly by my wife, who said, come here. So I quit what I was doing. I walked over there. I shut the light off in the room, shut the door so we could have some privacy. And there were the five of us standing around there, a young lady, a nice young lady, sweet spirit. And she was in tears. She began to describe how she'd been raped, uh, sexually abused um, a couple of years ago, several years ago, and never knew how to resolve it. And so we sat down there and we, we began to work with that girl to encourage her and help lead her to freedom and peace in this area. And her body was shaking. She was crying almost uncontrollably. And as we led her to Jesus Christ, I watched her. There was just enough light coming through the window. I could see the silhouette of her face as I was leading her in prayer to Jesus to help disconnect some of that pain. I saw for the first time a smile come on the face of that young girl. That's nothing we were doing let me be clear on that. That is the mighty power of God at work 
in healing the heart of a young person. <clears throat> and we're lucky to have those kind of experiences from time to time. Let's go on. Micah was looking for God, but he was looking in the wrong place. And in that one sentence, we've just described the entire world, except those who have already found him. The entire world is looking for God, steps to Christ tells us. Make no mistake about it. That story also illustrates a problem that is front and center for you and I today. There is this unholy tendency to mix the sacred and the profane together. And we've all seen it in our corner of the world, and we live in a state where we've probably seen some of that. My heart goes out to the, the dear people in Ohio who want, who want so badly to have an environment where where their children are safe and encouraged and nurtured into the Advent hope. And then that's not always the case, let's be honest. But there is hope, my friends. There is hope. God is calling upon each of you to be faithful, just to start loving people, to open your heart up to Him, to resolve issues that you're carrying around. <clears throat> Love your children and your spouse. One thing that can keep us from that is idolatry. Micah was a thief. Okay, have you ever stolen anything? Yep, I did. Generational idolatry, it starts with mom, it goes down to the son. And I don't know what the story was with Micah's son, but I can tell you with certainty that had he not resolved or changed that, it would also affect his son and his grandchildren. Idolatry. Micah was looking for a father. We're not given any details on why father was missing from the story. But we know that that sets up a void in the heart of a child. And he'll, he or she will keep looking for something to fill that. It's very important if you have children to make sure that your children feel loved when they're young. Especially before they reach the dating age. And you can guess why. Because if they don't. The very first person that comes along after they've reached the dating age who makes themselves sexually available, they will move towards them every time. <clears throat> Chapter 17 inserts a statement that we hear a couple of times in the book of Judges, and it's a rather haunting statement, isn't it? Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that describes the situation in some quarters in our world and maybe even in our church. But God is not done with the Advent people. He has a wonderful future and a hope for us. And he has a job for us to do. And in order to do that job, we might have to be free from some idols in our lives. And let's take a look at what some of them might be. <clears throat> Any of you ever been to Rome? Okay. Have you been to the Vatican? Okay. Did you go into St. Peter's? Okay. Did you see this guy? <clears throat> yeah. You probably didn't kiss his toe. Good. All right. Many people have those. So many people have. This is a bronze statue, by the way. And we are told accurately by people who have been there and also by articles that have been written on the subject. So many people who have filed by this statue of St. Peter have bent down and kissed his right big toe to the point where it's gone. It's missing. It's not there anymore. How many lips does it take to kiss away the specific gravity of bronze? An inch and a quarter square, a lot. 
A lot of lips, a lot of kisses, my friends. But we're not interested in the idols of the world, are we? No. But are there idols in our life? As we get into this message, I want to just set the tone that comes out of a very favorite chapter for us Adventists. I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him. For the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him that made heaven and earth and sea and the fountains of waters. I love that passage. <clears throat> Why? Because in that is our marching orders, in that is our assurance that God is with us. And in that is a warning that we are hopelessly worshipful people. You will worship something, whatever it is. I will worship someone or somebody if it's not God. And God needs to have the preeminence in our life. Long before Eve was around, Adam enjoyed this spiritual communion and intimacy with God. And we can talk about that some other time. There are three kinds of intimacy, by the way. I got married thinking there was only one kind. That was physical intimacy. I now know there are three kinds, like most guys, incidentally. <clears throat> Worship him that made heaven and earth and sea and fountains of waters. And in that statement, God has shut the door on every other false idol in our lives. What might that look like? Let me know if I've missed any. Now, if I've missed any, just fill in the blanks, okay? But I did my best. These are just a, a collection, an illustration of many false idols that we have in our lives. Some, to some people, sex is an idol that people have in their life. To some, it's cars, fast cars, expensive cars, or just cars of any kind, or motorcycles, whatever it might be. To some, it's the indulgence of appetite, or some worship the sun. We learn about that in the Bible, in the book of Ezekiel and other places. Expensive houses, rock music. Nancy and I live in a very, just south of a heavily saturated Catholic area, uh, up uh, near Maria Stein, where there is the largest collection of Catholic relics, I believe, in America. <clears throat> a lot of people up there, I've worked with some of them, for some of them, but nice people generally. But as we drive up through that area, we see these little bathtubs that are down into the ground. And you see a statue and say, oh, sorry, grotto. Forgive me. But in my ignorance, I used to call them bathtub Marys. And we used to play a game as we would drive through that county. We would count and see how many we got on that trip. One time we got up in the 30s. That might have been a record. We've got all these different kinds of idols in our lives. And they are standing between us and God. I don't know what you're struggling with. Maybe not. Maybe you've resolved all the issues in your life, and I hope that's the case. But if not, what might there be between yourself and God? Let's go on. There is only one thing can set us free from idols. The truth shall make you free. John 10. <clears throat> there is a sound of war in the camp. This was a statement made by Joshua as they picked their way down the mountain. Just three weeks ago, Nancy and I were in Norway conducting a week of prayer at the EBS uh, Bible School. And after we were done, we decided to do some climbing. We went over to Stavanga, Norway, and we climbed this all too famous rock called Prekestolen uh, in um, Norwegian, but we Americaners say it more commonly as pulpit rock. 
2,000 feet straight down. It's a big flat rock, 30 meters by 30 meters, and it's 2,000 feet straight down right there on the fjord. Beautiful, beautiful sight. <clears throat> but as we were walking down from there, it, I found out it was harder on my legs than walking up for some reason. I don't know why that is. Maybe because I was trying to break the record going down. I've got too much boy in me sometimes. But Joshua was coming down a different mountain one time and he heard noise and he said there's a sound of war in the camp. I don't want to overstate the case, but there is the sound of confusion sometimes in our church. You've heard these voices, some calling you one direction, some another. And it's that way in the world. It's always been that way in the world. But today we're experiencing some of those voices in the church. For instance, I was so encouraged last um, December to attend the GYC meeting in Baltimore and to find two classes there on the emerging church movement which is a huge problem and when I was in Norway they asked me when I got there the second question they asked after how are you they said how are things in America I said America is in trouble tonight but there is hope Jesus is coming again and there are many faithful people who want to be a part of his final movements <clears throat> this was taken from a church website not an Adventist church incidentally but it's picturing Jesus as a gangster and they're inviting people to come in they've thrown in a scripture there to make it look somewhat legitimate and they're calling Jesus the original gangster tossing tables in the temple y'all come okay I'm not going to condemn or promote that. I don't like the way it sounds, I'll tell you that. But here's something that does trouble me, and this is on a public website, incidentally, uh, last fall, from Faith House Manhattan, and I'm not here to throw stones at any individual. I'm just simply quoting what is public posting on their website. And anyhow, last fall, specifically in the month of October, and you'll see why it was October was chosen, is because that is a very high time in the occult and they were inviting Wiccans, witches to come in, occult people to come into this faith house. By the way, it's directed by a, an Adventist pastor. I don't know if you knew that or not. Okay. Some of you are frowning. I, don't, I did too when I first read that. I said, what? What? <clears throat> I'd like to just quote some of it from you. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but I do this only as a way to wave a flag of warning to you, just let you know that some of these things are coming into the church. If you're like me, you don't want your children being exposed to this kind of influence that God said have nothing to do with. Now, if you want to pray for someone who's in the occult, that's great, let's do that, yes, let's help them get free. But that's not the thrust and the intent of this website, let me show you why. This fall, we will be exploring how to cross boundaries into new spaces and meet the other. We heard about the other this morning, didn't we? Yeah. The one who was cast out of heaven. Okay, we want to learn about them and from them. Now forgive me, and I'm really going to be crude here, but that's a little bit like trying to help the immoral by joining a mor an orgy. Okay? You don't want to learn from these people. Now, it's one thing to do research and learn about something, uh, destructive trends that are coming into the world, sweeping people away, but it's quite another to say, I want to learn from them. I want to sit at their feet 
No, we must sit at the feet of Jesus Christ and his word. And they were celebrating this spiral path thing, uh, Samhain, which is a, an occult festival. And the veil between the worlds is said to be thinnest at this time, and so we take comfort in the closeness. You, you, you listening to all this? We take comfort in the closeness of the spirits of nature, our gods and goddesses, especially our ancestors. Now, as a Seventh-day Adventist, we know that our ancestors are what? Dead. The living know that they shall die. I'm assuming that they're dead. There might be some living ones. The living know that they shall die, but the dead know how much nothing. The temple, the spiral path, represents the family of witches, or covens, practicing shadow folk tradition of witchcraft, which was founded in 1995. Now, that's a relatively new phenomenon. When you go back into um, Stonehenge and some of the old Nordic and um, British occult festivals, you go way back beyond that, but this is a relatively new phenomenon. 1995 makes it much, much more recent. You can form your own opinion on that. This individual was invited to Ohio on two, maybe three, no, three or four occasions to uh, speak at the National Innovation uh, Conference. Um, if that troubles you, you're not alone. There are many people who say, you know, God has cautioned us to have no fellowship with this kind of thing. Pray for them, yes, but let's not ever, ever learn from them. Let's go on. Emerging Omega, there is a phenomenon moving into the Christianity called the Emerging Church. You've heard of this probably. It's, it's a movement. <clears throat> Rick Howard will be talking about the association of the Emerging Church, how it's actually become a vehicle for mysticism in many cases. And there are some things about the Emerging Church that are, I, you know, I, I kind of like a couple things, okay? But there's a whole laundry list of them that just trouble my soul, and they should yours too. If you'll take the Emerging Church writings, and I have a bunch of them in my home as I researched for it last year and the year before that. And I also had the Bible in my other hand. The Bible points out all these lies in the emerging church movement, and this is something that is being invited into the church um, in different states. Uh, ours uh, specifically has, has suffered some of the fallout of that. Where it's going yet, we don't know, but I do know this. Let's pray for our people. Let's continue to love them. Don't condemn them, but speak the truth in love as the time provides. Deep ecology, this was kind of fitting over in Norway. Arne Naus comes from Norway. He's the inventor of deep ecology. You know anything about that? He's clothed, by the way, from the waist on down. I wouldn't put it up here if it wasn't. That wouldn't be appropriate. <clears throat> deep ecology is the belief that you and I are intruders onto the planet, that the animal kingdom actually has an equal, if not just a slightly greater right to the planet than you and I. And it's completely different from the have dominion and subdue the earth that God told Adam. That's our legacy, our heritage. The deep ecology movement wants to strip that away from you and wants to elevate creation to the status of God. Deep ecology is being taught to your children if they go to public school. 
subtly, of course, and it varies from one school to another. There are some country schools who have done a better job at holding these destructive forces at bay, but many of them haven't. And there's also a very strong link between false religion and deep ecology. Here we have a book called Buddhism and Deep Ecology. The two go together. We can show you why later. Divine Nature, another book by Michael Cremo. <clears throat> Divine Nature. Get, get used to some of these terms because they're showing up more and more. As you see, you've seen the green movement kind of swell and crest into a wave around you, haven't you? Boy, if you haven't, your eyes aren't open. I, I'm in an industry where I could capitalize off the green movement, okay? I could make a lot of money from it. I own a commercial industrial spray foam business, which saves a lot of energy for people in houses and buildings. And I could really I, succumb to temptation and try to market myself as this green contractor, but I've resisted that out of principle. We do save people a lot of energy, and that's appropriate. But there's a problem coming. The fastest growing religion in the world is not Christianity or Islam. It's the green movement. In fact, it's becoming the principal rival of Christianity. <clears throat> Let's go on here. This is the end goal. Is where we, our whole world gets so conditioned to redirect worship into false worship and the earth becomes not our home, it becomes our idol. And that's what's happening and sadly our young children are being swept up in it in, in secular teaching and other places. Ecofeminism is another term that I just learned about recently because it's a growing phenomenon. Question is asked there, what is it anyway? Let's take a brief look at it. It's a blend of feminism and environmentalism You're probably laughing at that picture, but it's actually happened. That's a snapshot that was taken. Save the planet, kill yourself. You say, well, that's just an extremist. And it is, but this is a movement that's growing. And it's born out of these wrong ideas that ultimately go all the way back to Babylon and the false worship that was started there. Something we're told to avoid and to call people out of. I wish there's no way to implement it, but I wish in our church we had a mechanism where we would go around and visit with people once a year and say, are you still, do you still believe what the Adventist church stands for? And just go down the list and pray together with them. Maybe that would flush out a lot of unbelief before it takes root in people's life. <clears throat> or maybe it would open a can of worms, I don't know. Just a thought that I've had lately. <clears throat> Let's go on here. Ecofeminism is the belief that biblical patriarchism, that's a $50 word. You know what patriarchalism is? It's gender roles that the man has been created by God to be the provider and that there were two different destinies pronounced on them in Eden after the fall. And in every marriage passage in 1 Peter 3 and Ephesians 5, there are different responsibilities given to each one. Why? Because they're both different. Not wrong, just different. You and I are different, my dear. <clears throat> we both have unique roles that God has. I'm talking to my wife there. That's all right. Just pointing out that you and I are different. And we're different in a way that complements each other, not wrong, just different. It's the same way with you and your spouse if you're married. <clears throat> Ecofeminism takes the bold step 
that those kind of roles as defined in the Bible, they come from nowhere else. They come from the Word of God who made us. They take the position that those are the cause of all of our problems in society. Can you believe that? Wow. Therefore, we must blend feminism and environmentalism, get this, to activate the primal consciousness of oneness between all living things. Okay, that sounds like indigestion. Deep ecology and ecofeminism are encapsulated in the Wiccan path. Okay, now we've got outright occult linkage joining into this. There was a day when the occult was kind of underground. Now we've entered a time where it's becoming more and more popular and accepted. Dangerous time. <clears throat> if you want to learn more about these concepts, I recommend a, uh, a lady whom I admire and I've interacted some with on email. She's a counselor and also an author. His name is Barit Keo. Nice lady. She's counseled a lot of women who've gotten swept up in this, this uh, dark side of environmentalism. Neat lady. She's helped them get free from it as best she can. She continues to write books, very prolific author. This is a statement from a witch. I am a witch and I do believe that thought influences reality or magic. I can alter my consciousness at will and I do celebrate the eight festivals of the year. That one I showed you in Manhattan was one of them. Which festival? Okay. Adventist pastor putting it on his website and then coming to Ohio. <clears throat> Plus, I like all the velvet dresses, cloaks, and magical tools. I am also a woman. Okay, God made you that way. And I believe deeply that witchcraft is the only religious persuasion that truly celebrates the feminine, that sees divinity as female first and then male. I subscribe to that point of view. If that makes me a witch, so be it. Let's go on. <clears throat> Earth worship, which runs very close to deep ecology. They're actually kindred movements. And they focus on our youth again, indoctrinating earth worship. And you'll start to see these kind of things more and more as time goes on. It's just old error being sold as new light. You heard of this guy. What we've got here is a picture of Al Gore. Okay. Earth worship. That's where it's heading. And people, let me issue this calculated warning. People who get caught up into the emerging church movement, people who have a theological weakness for progressive or liberal theology, I'm not... I'm not condemning them. I care for those people. Many of them are friends. But I'm pointing out, very point of blank here, there's a danger. They're moving this direction too and they don't know. They say, oh no, I'm never going to get involved in that. Five years down the road from now, I can guarantee you, they will have moved that direction. And they will console themselves in their unsanctified pride that they can handle it until they step over that line, like on the Niagara River above the falls, said, if you go beyond this, you're doomed. And they go over that, convinced in their pride they can handle it. Serious stuff, my friends. Our home, not our God. Let's go on. The idol of fantasy. Sexual and emotional fantasy. A lot of guys struggle with pornography. We've counseled with pastors. I've counseled with evangelists and even a conference president one time. 
One thing I noticed early on in the counseling ministry was that many guys who struggle with pornography also have a high rejection score. We have a test that we give to people and it'll kick back a score in one of these areas. And so I began to notice that linkage. And then I realized, I began to realize that men who have a high rejection need something to try to feel good again when they're in their pain, when they're thinking and dwelling on their rejection. And many times they'll turn to the idol of idolatry or the idol of pornography. Never fails. It's like drinking salt water just makes you thirstier. Every immoral pattern. Every immoral pattern. <clears throat> will, only, will only frustrate you. It never satisfies. And I've done things I wouldn't do again, by the way, uh, prior to marriage. I'll be honest and open with you. And through God, I've resolved all of that and cleaned it all up. And now the very thought of it just makes me sick. Emotional. Very seldom is a woman attracted to pornography, although the studies that we have here lately indicate that that's slowly starting to change. Used to be about 16% of women ever confessed even a modicum interest in pornography or looked at it or viewed it. Nowadays, that's growing. That's almost doubled. It's up in the uh, mid-20s, the high 20s, in fact. But most generally, pornography for a woman is what? Soap operas and romance novels and fantasy. You see, a woman sometimes will, if they're not connected at home, and then there can be a number of reasons for that. It can be the husband who's into uh, moral failure, which will make the wife feel dirty and degraded inside, and it will actually damage her spirit. That needs to be cleaned up, and it can be. It takes about an hour, maybe two. <clears throat> and the woman sometimes will go out for a fantasy in her mind, and many times this isn't sexual at first. Not at first. <clears throat> but she'll go out in a fantasy for another man, maybe a guy singing in the choir, and she'll be wondering inside, what would it be like to be married to this individual? And she might even form a relationship where she'll talk to this person in her mind. This is all emotional fantasy. And the hard truth is that the husband cannot give his heart to his wife until he's resolved the moral stronghold. And the wife's in a hard spot. She's told in Ephesians 5 she is to respect her husband, and it's extremely difficult for her to do that as long as he's in moral failure or pornography. The wife also cannot give her heart to her husband as long as this fantasy is alive inside of her, and that's an area that needs to be killed. And it can be. God can clean all these things up, my friends. Let's go on. <clears throat> you like that? I love that picture. I'll show you again. <laughs> now, Mr. Wagoner, you're being judgmental. No, I'm not. The Bible condemns, condemns these things freely. Okay. The Bible judges immorality. The Bible judges fantasy. <clears throat> Let's go on. You need to be more tolerant. This is the mantra of the uh, liberal left, both in the church and out. And there's some truth to that. Tolerance is a good thing. We don't want to be hard-hearted people. We don't want to be Nazis. <clears throat> and so a degree of tolerance is needed for a healthy life. But my friend, God never asked you or I to tolerate sin. No. We can tolerate individuals. You can put your arm around them. Love them. Help them. Get, resolve issues. Lead them in prayer. The Adventist Church does a wonderful job at evangelism. I'm a product of that. And I'm grateful for it. 
But we bring so often people into the church who bring all these kinds of issues into the fellowship and they don't know how to resolve it. We pile all this truth on top of their lives and we say now everything should be okay. You're a member of the church. Sabbath morning. You're sitting in church. Someone raises their hand in the congregation. They say, I'm struggling with suicidal thoughts. Can anyone here help me? What do you do? Or a guy raises his hand and he says, I'm struggling with immorality, with prostitution. I don't know how to stop it. I hate myself. And every time afterwards, I feel less fulfilled than ever. And I vow to myself, I'll never do it again. Can anyone here help me? You see, as a church, we have tended to push people off to professionals. We're uncomfortable with that kind of a request. But God has never intended that people that we bring into the church or people who've been into the church for a long time would be pushed aside to professionals to find help and healing. No. God has called each of us pray with individuals, to pray for them, to put our arms around their shoulder and say, can I help you? I got free from this years ago. Can I show you how I did that? I have a vision for our church that in every congregation there will be five couples who understand how the heart works and who love people. And when we do a good job of evangelism, we bring people into the church, then let these people be mentored and let them show let them find how the truth can be plugged into their life to help them overcome the things they struggle with. That makes sense. <clears throat> I saw this bumper sticker a while back. I had to kind of speed up to, to, so I could snap a picture with my iPhone. Tolerance. Man, it's got it all in there, doesn't it? The old peace sign from the 60s. Oh boy, I grew up in that era. What a uh, deceptive time. So did some of you. Be open-minded. I got this from a Mennonite friend of mine who's also a biblical counselor. I love this one. He sent me this one time. He said, don't be so open-minded that your brains fall out. <laughs> yes, we do need to be objective people, sure. You'll be a better Bible student, a better father, a better mother, a better husband and wife if you have an objective mind. But don't be so open-minded that your brains fall out. You see, there are some things that you cannot put on the table alongside of God, my friends. And we live in a culture where arms are being wrapped around every unclean thing and brought in. They're placed right beside the Word of God saying, well, this is okay. In my pride, I can handle it. That's going off of a cliff. I, I'm here to tell you. And I could tell you a whole series of stories that would blow you away. We counsel with people who've gotten into some of this. The cares of this world and the, and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Those words should be in red. They're the words of Jesus Christ. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. What should we do with our idols? We should reprove them. Ask God for the strength to walk away from them. We need help for that. Don't try to do it on your own. You get in the ring with the devil, you'll end up with knots on your head. God will enter the ring for you. <clears throat> Recommended reading. I've got some books here that might be an encouragement to you. 
This is the author I was talking about earlier, A Twist of Faith. I have that book. Really neat little book, not very big. <clears throat> Another one is Resisting the Green Dragon. The foreword was written by a friend of mine, Dr. Calvin Beisner, a man whom I've come to know on Facebook and through email. There's that word again, Facebook. <clears throat> Resisting the Green Dragon, it's talking about the extremes of the environmentalist movement and how there is a, a dark, sinister underbelly behind environmental worship and it's threatening to envelop the entire world. And lastly, why we're not emerging. I love this book. I, I bought that here last year. I love the way the second guy writes, um, Ted Cluck. What a, what a brilliant young writer he is. And Kevin DeYoung, both of these young men are pastors. And I love the subtitle, Why We're Not Emergent, by two guys who should be. <laughs> I recommend that in clear conscience. There they are again. <clears throat> the Bible talks about burning incense to false gods, and I chose this picture on purpose. You've got an incense being burned there. <clears throat> Because they have forsaken me and burned incense unto other gods that they might provoke me to anger. And that's working. All the works of their hands, therefore my wrath shall be kindled against this place and shall not be quenched. I don't know about you, my friends, but I tremble at the thought of the wrath of God. We can do something. We can do something about that. We can fall on our knees and ask the blood of Jesus to cover our church and our own lives. And we can ask for God to have mercy on our church. <clears throat> and you'll be like a Daniel if you do that. This happens in India each year. I believe that's Bombay or Calcutta. And they have these idols. They go out into the water there and they worship them. And it's just a big confusing mess. <clears throat> I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave unto me. David Wilkerson years ago railed against television. Some of you have heard of David Wilkerson. Maybe not. He is the author of an old story called The Cross and the Switchblade. And that whole story was made possible by one small act of obedience on his part. He got rid of his television. He sold it for $25. He felt that it was interfering with his spiritual life. And so he said, God, if you want me to sell this, then I'm going to offer it for sale. First guy come along, man, within an hour, bought the thing, said thank you, and took it home, dragging the cord behind him. And that began the saga in David's life where he went to New York City, began to work with the gangs there, and to his dying day, which happened four weeks ago, he was killed in a semi-collision. To his dying day, he lived without television. I really admire that, and we do too. Nancy and I, I was raised without one. We tried one for two months after I became an Adventist, and, or maybe after we were married, and threw the bum out, as Grandma would say. <laughs> it didn't take long to see what it was made of, and I want you to know I really respect and appreciate you people who have one and can control it, as I probably couldn't. Let's go on. <clears throat> Television makes many people think that they can control it. In other words, it'll fool you. It lures you into a false sense of pride. It's geared towards mind control. There have been a number of studies, most recently at Harvard, by the way, that have looked at this aspect of television. You think, well, it's about time. How long has it been around? 
Okay. 73% of sexual encounters on TV are either adulterous or illicit. They're all immoral. 73%. And that's probably being modest. Warfare against our minds. You see, television is dedicated to the loss of your children's innocence long before they can handle it. I'll just throw that out there. It desensitizes Christians to sin and pain. This is especially true in fathers who come home from work and they tune out of the family. Their antenna is not up. They don't know what's going on. They look for the remote. And they sit there in their easy chair. And if you were to ask the son of one of those kind of men, what's a, what's a man look like? They would probably point to their father. They're growing up with this wrong image. You see, dad needs to be engaged with the children's lives. You need, as fathers, and I'm a father too, this applies to me. <clears throat> we need to be sensitive to know what's going on in our children's life and to adjust our Bible study time with the children to help meet the answers, meet the needs they have with good solid answers. Television creates an artificial emotion and unreality in your children. It creates an artificial plastic reality, a sense of reality. <clears throat> One of the great concerns of Dr. Bakayoki before he died <clears throat> was that a movie like Passion of the Christ would become some people's walking, living, breathing Bible. He's dead and gone now, and his prophecy has been fulfilled for many people. And I talked to a guy not recently, not long ago, who said, yeah. He said, that movie just meant everything to me. He said, I believe every bit of it. So I asked him some questions. And all of his knowledge came not from the Bible, but from that movie. And he had a lot of things wrong because he was using the movie as his own Bible. There's our picture again of all these idols and if you have anything to add to that you can just email it to me I tried to find everything I could <clears throat> I like that you want to see it again we've got a page full of idols and all of a sudden they explode and go off the screen because the words I am the way the truth and the life have taken their place that's what we need friends you and I so whatever idols you have in your life and mind, I encourage you to take them out and break them. Do what some of the old time kings in the Bible did, the great kings like Hezekiah and Josiah. Take them out. If you don't have the courage, ask God to help you. Smash your idols. First Samuel 12:21. Do not turn away after idols, they can do you no good, nor can they rescue you because they are useless, whatever it might be. Whatever it might be, whether it's food. We live in a, in a culture, especially a country where, where we are struggling over the proper use of food and diet. You've seen this as you live here in this country. You've seen the problem grow. If, if you're as old as I am, you, you remember when it wasn't that way, as Grandma would say. But as we traveled in Scandinavia, we found very little obesity over there. When we came home, the, the contrast was dramatic. Why? Because for many people, too many people, food has become an idol. Appetite has become an idol. I have a right not to feel hungry anymore. But Jesus himself said, Deny, deny. If you want to follow after me, deny yourself. And then take up your cross and we'll walk together. Follow me. 
Fear the Lord, serve him with truth in all your heart. Consider the great things that he hath done for you. I like that verse. <clears throat> now we turn to Romans 1 as we wind it up here. Because when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. You see, this verse pins our ears back in 2011, my friends. They glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Idols will make you stupid. Is that too blunt? Oh yeah, it will. Sex was an idol to Samson. Okay, He's having immoral sex, illicit sex with Delilah. I'll give you an illustration. She says, Tell me how I can kill you. Right? Tell me how I can kill you. Now he plays with her a little bit, and then he finally tells her. Idols will make you stupid. Their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Aha, creation is beginning to be exalted here in this passage, and it's pointing forward to our day. This prophecy is fulfilled today. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served created things more than the creator who is forever blessed. And it goes on to talk about the problem of homosexuality. That too is a problem in our culture. And we've counseled with a number of those people and we care about the things they struggle with. And each time, each person we've worked with in that area, I can tell you, wasn't born that way. They weren't born that way, okay. They may have had some little tendencies along the way, but they weren't born that way. They pulled a switch at some point as they began acting on wrong, wrong impressions. And you'll notice also, if you go on down into Romans, it talks about the men burning with lust for one another. It's a rather disgusting picture. And the man there takes the greater share of the blame. Why? Even though the woman began to do it too, because they set the pattern. The Bible goes on to say, and likewise, the women. Men started it. Men, fathers, dear ones. We have a responsibility that God has set before us in the family. And he expects us to be the servant leader that he's defined in the Bible. And as you do that, you will find a sense of fulfillment you can't get from your job. Some men come in to see me, and they're married to their job. And I say, does your job love you? And they go silent. And the tears begin to come. I guess not. You get to the heart of a person, you'll find out what's in there. You can be faithful among the faithless. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. You can be the third ruler in Babylon. You can be in a jail cell in Joppa or Philippi. You can serve God wherever you are. As we bring it to a close here, <clears throat> We are to labor in earnest to break down every barrier that has been built up to keep Christ from entering the citadel, the heart. I love that phrase. What a poetic writer. The citadel of the heart. There is more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than over 99 persons that think they need no repentance. The Bible. Does it need rewritten? We live in an age where it's being redefined, rewritten, reimagined. 
No. It just needs reread. Just reread. <clears throat> we don't have time to go into the story of Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. But what the Bible is doing is calling us to repent. I mentioned some RE words reimagine, redefine, reshape, reformulate. And we even have leaders in the Adventist church who are defiling the spirits of their constituents that they're serving by encouraging them to do these kind of things, to redefine and reimagine that which is true and holy in the Bible. And they've somehow convinced themselves that it's okay to do it. But there is an RE word that we need, and it's the word repentance. It's a wonderful thing. I close with the verse we started with. Worship him that made heaven, earth, and sea, and the fountains of waters. <clears throat> Don't worship yourself, my friend. Idols are just false gods, whatever they might be. But the biggest one of all is the idol itself. And that's my problem, too. Worship God. He's the only one that can save you. Ask God, do I have idols in my life? And let the Spirit of God come and answer, as David would often do in the Psalms. He would cry out to God. And then he would spend time apparently reflecting on God's goodness and waiting on an answer, and God would show him something. And Psalm 18 would be an example of this. Let God speak to you. The Holy Spirit has been given to each one of you for that very purpose. It's the communication agent. He is. I like that. You see, there's room for you and I on that day. Everyone will run when Jesus comes back. Will you run towards him or away from him? And that's the question I leave you with. God bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.